Well, wherever you're at, would you uh, find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, in light of the times in which we're living, all of the uncertainty economically, the pandemic, the social unrest, we are giving ourselves to the study of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, chapters 5 through 7. In these chapters, they begin with these Beatitudes, and This is exactly what we need. If you want to know how do we live as kingdom citizens in the midst of a broken world, this is the text for us. And as we've been going through these Beatitudes, you found them to be surprising, startling, and yet so very compelling because he is speaking to his disciples and he's telling them, this is how to live as my people in the midst of a broken world. And that is certainly true to the final beatitude that we come to today. You'll find it beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, where Jesus made this statement, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That beatitude, it's, it's heavy. It's deep. And Jesus actually doesn't just make the statement, this is the only beatitude that he actually goes into depth and gives further explanation to. And we'll actually see more of that next week. But what does every believer need to know when their faith in Christ comes under fire and under the fire of persecution? That's why these this particular verse is so very important. Now, when you hear the word persecution, a variety of images and thoughts might come to your mind. The word originally meant to pursue, to chase down, to drive away. But when we talk about persecution, specifically the persecution of those who are followers of Christ, it means any form of hostility that is experienced because of one's faith in Christ. Now, It shouldn't surprise us that Christians will face persecution. That's what Jesus is teaching and training his disciples for. He's saying, when you face persecution, and he's going to be talking about what this looks like, but it shouldn't surprise us. In fact, Jesus said right before he goes to the cross, when he is having that final time of instruction and discipleship, With his men, he makes the statement in John chapter 15, verse 20, he says, Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your word also. And so Jesus was preparing his followers that you will face persecution in this world. Who I am is in opposition to sin and a world that is captured and enticed by evil and uh, self-actualization and wanting to basically live life independent of God is contrary to how God has designed the world. He says, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. And so when we look just kind of at a glance at world history, initially, Christianity was considered to be a sect of Judaism. And so in the midst of the Roman Empire, they really couldn't quite figure it out. And they thought, well, it's just some form of Judaism. And so it actually had legal protection. 
In fact, you even see this, like in Acts chapter 19 and Acts 21, where uh, like Christians would be rescued like from a mob. But then pretty quickly, it was discovered that Christianity was actually radically new. This wasn't just some version of Judaism. This was a complete following and faith in a belief in a promised, delivered, crucified, killed, and resurrected Messiah. And these people were following him with their lives. And hostility started to grow, animosity. What started off as tolerance started to grow into hostility. By uh, 64 AD, you have a situation where Nero burns down about half of Rome. And as the city's burning, uh, there needed to be someone or some group of people to be made the scapegoat. Many, actually, historians think that it was Nero himself who had grand plans of rebuilding Rome as the one who had the fire set. But he targeted Christians, and it began kind of a full-scale persecution of them. So much so that by the time we get to 112 AD, or AD 112, we've got a situation where if you were a Christian and you would not forsake your faith in Christ and burn incense at some sort of government uh, shrine, that you could actually even be executed. And so we have, even very early on, exactly as Jesus said, there is going to be the persecution for those who follow him. And did you know that full commitment to God does bring about a sense of persecution wherever it is practiced and experienced. And you may, it may surprise you because it's rarely in the news, but actually one of the great um, civil uh, issues, or excuse me, the social issues around the world is the persecution of Christians. It's rarely spoke about, but it's actually one of the biggest human right issues that exists. For instance, there are Christians that are persecuted around the world for a variety of causes. Some are persecuted in places where governments thrive on power, and they absolutely want to control the every aspect of their people. And so examples of this are like North Korea, where they actually seek under an authoritarian regime to control the thoughts and all religious thoughts and expressions and really even the lives of their people. And Jesus is seen as a threat And those who follow him are seen as those are are like a competition to loyalty to a government. And it seemed like we have got to get rid of them. And so you see that. Then in other areas, you find that like Christianity is seen to be like um, not the majority religion. And hence, it's sometimes labeled as foreign or non-native. And it's got to be eliminated and so you see this like in uh, like Niger, Africa, where it's 98% Muslim. The culture itself just will want to get rid of anyone that names the name of Christ. Or you, perhaps you're familiar with like India, where you have Hindu nationalists that actually believe that to be Indian is to be Hindu. There can be no separation. And so if you're a part of a minority religion like Christianity, there are Hindu nationalists that will actually persecute Christians. And then, of course, we're familiar with extremist groups that will seek to eliminate uh, 
Christians, wherever they might find them. And so like in Nigeria, you've got a lot of Islamic extremists that are going to go and if they'll hunt down Christians and they will persecute them. And they will do so because they absolutely believe that they are infidels. And, and this persecution can be brutal. Rapes, um, burning of homes, um, any places where Christians might gather, kidnapping, and, and worse. And so you see that even today, just like Jesus said, persecution exists all around the world. Now, the top 50 world watch list says that as far as um, people living for Christ in this world, there is estimated to be 260 million Christians that experience a high level of persecution. Their research says that one in nine Christians um, actually receives a high level of persecution. Now, what does that actually look like? Let me just give you some examples of what Christians being persecuted looks like. It looks like this, like a woman in India. She watches her sister getting dragged off by Hindu nationalists. And she has no idea whether her sister is alive or dead. It looks like a man in North Korea who is in a prison camp, who is beaten unconscious, but then awaken again so he can receive another beating. It looks like a woman in Nigeria who runs from her life because she's escaped Boko Haram. She has been impregnated through rape. And when she finally makes it back to her village, she will be rejected both by all of the people in the village, both her and her baby. We're familiar with some of these scenes. We, we try not to think about them, but like, for instance, Easter, April 21st, uh, 2019, in Sri Lanka, there were three churches that were bombed on that day. One of those included a large group of children that had just been fed and they were singing and laughing and making their way into the church when the bomb went off. And then, of course, there was one image that really did seem to rock the world. It gave you a glimpse of just how great the hostility there can be for Christians. And that is February of 2015 when the Islamic State um, actually had the brutal execution of 21 young men on a Libyan beach who were Coptic Christians. And so, friends, you see that there is persecution, just like Jesus said, whether it be in Russia or Nigeria or North Korea or Colombia or India. There's multiple countries. Throughout the Middle East, there is different parts of Asia. There is a deep-seated hatred and a widespread persecution of Christians. And it shows up this being targeted for your faith in their jobs, at work, at school. They risk sexual exploitation, sexual violence, torture, being kidnapped, and worse. According to the most recent figures released this year, there have been 2,983 Christians that are killed for their faith. 9,488 church buildings or Christian ministry buildings that have been destroyed. And you're like, well, 
who are the leaders? Like, what are the hardest countries? What are, what are some of the places that we should really be praying for? You know, the number one perpetrator of persecution of Christians for 17 years in a row is the country of North Korea, then Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, followed by Pakistan. These people in these countries, and, and that's not even mentioning countries like Iran and Egypt, where there's just this deep-seated, simmering hatred toward Christians. And our fellow brothers and sisters are enduring such great hostility. But you might be thinking like, okay, that's far away. And it's hard for me to relate to persecution. And I want you to know that Jesus' statement here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, is as much for us as it is for our brothers and sisters around the world. What was even thought to be like could never happen in the United States is already starting to happen. Persecution is on the rise. Churches, even recently, have been burned. There is just this deep-seated resentment that seems to be now cultivated in our culture to resist and to reject those who follow Christ. And you're seeing this. We live in a culture of moral relativism, and what we're finding here is that people who believe in the Bible, in absolute truth, but believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that doesn't work. And the resistance is coming stronger. And it shows up everywhere. Universities, media, TV, news, um, even athletics, law, education. There is a growing resentment and hostility toward Christians. And we've seen this even as we're going through this pandemic in our country. Like, for instance, in April 2020, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio attacked a Christian relief agency by Samarit- named by Samaritan's Purse. They had been working in conjunction with the Mount Sinai Hospital. They had set up an emergency field hospital in Central Park. Everything had been approved. But Mayor de Blasio called it very troubling, quote-unquote, citing the organization's biblical stance on social issues. The persecution of Christians is starting to heat up, even in politics. To actually identify as a follower of Christ, a Bible-believing Christian, that can be a ticket for you to have doubt cast on your ability to be able to lead in our society. Traditional biblical values that have been even at the inception of our country are on a wholesale attack. They are looking to try to remove them altogether. The persecution of Christians in the marketplace is definitely on the rise. One example that I think we'll all be familiar with is a guy by the name of Jack Phillips. He is, works at Masterpiece Cake Shop, and you're familiar with him because this Colorado baker has actually been brought to court. In fact, one of his cases went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, where actually the Supreme Court, in a 7-2 decision, actually reprimanded and said, you are actually attacking this man for his sincere religious beliefs. You think that would end it, but did you know that this very same man has now another lawsuit against him. All of this because his faith would not allow him to be baking cakes for uh, like homosexual weddings. He just said, 
I just can't do that. But then we also see this persecution of Christians on college campuses. Christians are maligned. A Christian professor could uh, find himself or herself not being able to get tenure because, wait, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm not really sure that works. If you're a scientist that you believe in the Bible and you're a follower of Christ, you'll find that some of your peers are going to have great amounts of doubt and you will lose credibility. I want you to know that it is growing and Jesus' words are given to prepare us But I want you to know, as heartbreaking as it is to just even just give you a glimpse of persecution around the world, it's not the whole story. Do you remember what Jesus said? Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. When you are persecuted for your faith, first first of all, remember this. God's blessing is upon you. He said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. To be blessed, it is the God-given capacity to enjoy God's goodness and to express it to others. He said, you are blessed. We would never think it like persecuted. How could that be blessed? But actually, we not only experience God's goodness, but we actually find that we experience Growth in God's grace. In times of trial and persecution, God reveals much of himself to us. You could think of it this way. Faith under fire can be formative. It is. It's in these times of great difficulty that we experience the nearness of our God He literally shepherds and leads us. He provides, and there is a deep work in our soul, a profound peace, a peace that surpasses all comprehension. There is just this nearness of God that comes when there is persecution that we are facing. Christian author Madeline Lingle wrote this, I don't envy those who have never known any pain, physical or spiritual, Because I strongly suspect that the capacity for pain and the capacity for joy are equal. Only those who have suffered great pain are able to know equally great joy. To suffer great pain gives us the capacity to know great joy. Now, to the non-believing world, that, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But for those of us who know Christ, we see, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a person you may be familiar with, a Christian leader of the Confessing Church in Germany during World War II. He could have left at any time. In fact, he was out of the country and actually came back and he led, uh, was one of the leaders in the underground church. Now, he stayed in Germany, Germany, even though he could have fled to safety, and he was eventually apprehended and brought into one of the Nazi prison camps. And shortly before the war ended, on April 9th, 1945, they actually hanged this pastor. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had it, wrote a letter to his swin, twin sister, Sabine, and I'd like to read just a small portion to you. 
Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. It is good to learn early enough that suffering and God are not a contradiction, but a unity. For the idea that God himself is suffering is one that has always been one of the most convincing teachings of Christianity. I think God is nearer to suffering than to happiness. And to find God in this way gives peace and rest and a strong and courageous heart. Do you see that? It's God. He is at work in the midst of our suffering. He gives us care. He upholds us. He fills us with longings for eternity. He gives us hope and peace. This is how God works. And so I want you to know something. When you and I face persecution, when the believers of the world face persecution for their faith in Christ, know that God's blessing is upon you. But there's something else that we learn from Matthew 5.10 in this beatitude, and that is that God's Son is being manifested in you. If you are persecuted in any way for your faith in Christ, know that God's Son is being manifested in you. Notice what he said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. You see, relationship with Christ is discipleship. So often we just think of, well, all I need is salvation and forgiveness of sins. And that is absolutely true. And it's all a work and a gift of grace. You could never earn it. We are all despicable sinners, right? We need grace and forgiveness. And when you and I turn from our sin, we we're, we're actually see it for what it is. We're broken and we turn and trust in Christ. We receive salvation. But I want you to know that with salvation, God has now given us the privilege of being his children. And he wants us to grow mature, fully functional. He brings us into a discipleship relationship. You and I are intended to grow and mature in our faith. It's a relationship with his life and with his lordship. And so to be a disciple is to be one who is in an intentional relational process of maturing as a Christ-centered believer and being mobilized for ministry. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple, and that's what Jesus is intending to do. And notice what the text says. He says, if they persecute you because of righteous, for the righteousness, for the sake of righteousness. Now, what is that word mean? We've seen it before. We saw it earlier in Matthew 5, 3, but it means this. Righteousness is the right standing that God grants those who have faith in Jesus Christ, and it is the right living that comes from relationship with him. So it's right standing based upon the finished work of Jesus, your faith in Christ, but it is also a call to right living as a result of this relationship with Christ. And what Jesus is saying is, as they see the life of Christ being manifested in you, the righteousness put on display, don't be surprised if they persecute you. You see, now, what you're doing is that you're showing that you value Christ more than anything else in the world. Now, sometimes our thinking gets a little twisted. We think that, um, well, 
I feel real bad because I've, I've not been persecuted. And so what we kind of almost think is like, well, I need to figure out a way that I can experience some sort of persecution for my faith. And that's not what this text is saying. He actually is saying he doesn't call us to be persecuted. What is he calling for? Us to pursue righteousness, right living. Now, persecution may come, but that's not the goal. The goal is not like, well, how can I get myself persecuted? No, the goal is to enjoy God, to walk with God, to live rightly before him. And you just kind of let the chips fall where they may. And suffering can come from righteousness. And Jesus calls us to himself. In fact, he even told us, remember, like we saw in John 15, that you will be persecuted. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But that's, here's where the tension comes. We really don't want to be persecuted, right? I mean, obviously, it's like, man, if we could avoid that, we'd like to. And one of the great uh, kind of normal normalizations that is taking place in our country is that we just want to fit in. We don't want to do anything that might in any way cause us to stick out. We want to amalgamate and absorb and conform to the culture. And so whatever the wind of the culture says, that's where we want to be. We don't, we don't want to go against the grain. We don't want to walk upstream. We just want to float with the winds of the culture. And I want you to know, like, if you want to avoid persecution, it's, it's actually really easy. Let me just tell you how you do that. Live like the world. If you want to avoid persecution, live like the world. Adopt the world's values. Um, just fully engage in whatever the culture is saying is, is actually this is right you're going to find that our culture kind of like forms its own values based, based upon the popular opinion of the day. If you don't want to be persecuted, please be quiet about the gospel. Don't say, don't really talk about Jesus in any sort of specifics. Never call or mention or say anything is sin. Never ever refer to the judgment of God or hell. You can, you can give some general statements about that God is love, Okay. You can offer a version of cotton candy Christianity that'll be moderately acceptable in most circles, but never get down to the specifics of a need for a savior and that freedom and forgiveness and eternal life in heaven is for those only who will trust in Christ. That, that's not going to work in today's culture. You might actually get persecuted if you actually say things like that. When the world is mocking God, just smile. Kind of just join in. When they use his name in vain, it's like, that's just kind of how things roll. And it happens all the time. And just, if you don't want to be persecuted, just be ashamed of the gospel and of Christ. Just kind of put your head down and ignore it. Friends, I want you to know that when we abide in Christ, We live out his life. 
Jesus hasn't rescued us from death and darkness and sin and hell for us to amalgamate from the, into the very world in which he saved us. Rather, he has redeemed our life from the pit. He has called us into relationship with himself. There is absolute freedom and forgiveness of sins. There is life as it intended. There is a deep-seated joy even in the midst of difficulty, and it is an eternal relationship. And so as we live out our life that we have in Christ, friends, that's righteousness on display. That's where life is really found. But I, I want you to know that if you do that, you may be persecuted. But I want you to know that you are manifesting the life of Christ. This is so radically important that this is our church's mission statement. It is directly from the scriptures to glorify God by living out the life that we have in Christ. That's what we're called to. If you are a Christian, you are called to life in Christ. Life is an acronym to to recognize, remember, and to live out the essence of the Christian life. Loving God, investing in others, following his word, and engaging our world. Friends, that's where life is found. And like Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Know this, when you are persecuted for your faith in Christ, remember God's blessing is upon you and God's son is being manifested in you. And let me give you just one final point from this beatitude. Remember this, God's kingdom is given to you. That's what he says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they're used synonymously. In fact, the Jews would refer to the kingdom of heaven so they didn't have to say God's personal name, which is Yahweh. But it's all synonymous. The kingdom of God is God's reign and rule through his son. And it's the joy of those who are in eternal relationship with him. And this is very interesting. Do you know how the Beatitudes, remember how they began? Remember that? In 5.3, he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he say here in verse 10? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in between those two bookends, like with a feather brush, he actually makes the strokes of what does this life in Christ really look like? It's kingdom people living in a broken world. They are poor in spirit. They are broken over the world. They are meek. They're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They are merciful. They're pure in heart. They are peacemaking. And this kingdom that God gives us, there is, there is a present aspect to it. We're living in the realm of God's reign and rule in our hearts, in our lives. It's why we have joy and peace, perspective. We have values that are given to us by God. We have a compass for this life, and it is in tune with God, and we're walking in his ways. We know his goodness. We've got purpose. We have the absolute security of eternity. We could never lose our salvation because it's been eternally given to us in Christ. It is life as God intended, and God is the one who has made the people of the world. He's made us. And life was meant to be lived in a genuine relationship with him. And so when he says that you received the kingdom of heaven, 
why it's already ours. But there's another aspect of it. There's the millennial kingdom that's coming. It's referred to in Revelation like 20, like verses 1 through 6, where you have the reward of actually being reigning with Christ as co-heirs for a thousand years in this kingdom to come after Christ returns. But then there is the eternal aspect of the kingdom of heaven, where we will forever experience eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. We will see him. We will see him as he is. We will be gathered forever with all those who truly know him. And it will be just unending, immense joy. The, the issues of this life, the persecution we might feel, I mean, they can hurt us, they can harm us, they can destroy our property, but I want you to know they can never take your soul and they cannot take the great possession, the pearl of great price that is given to us, the kingdom of heaven, relationship eternally with God forever. So when you're persecuted for your faith in Christ, Remember how God is working in your life. You see what persecution does? It refines and defines the church. And just as Jesus said, and Christians have now for centuries experienced, it's like Tertullian uh, said, the second century Christian theologian from Africa. He made this statement. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Like Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us indeed. That's our hope. This kingdom mindset, this parable was epitomized by a young woman by the name of Kayla Mueller. At 26 years old, she was captured by ISIS. She was taken captive when she was leaving uh, a hospital in August 2013. Um, She was serving in Syria at a hospital with Doctors Without Borders, and she was apprehended and kidnapped by ISIS. And on February 10th, 2015, U.S. officials confirmed that Muslim extremists had murdered her after having repetitively raped her while in captivity. In the spring of 2014, as a captor, Kayla wrote to her family, and the letter begins with Kayla's assurance that she has been treated well and is, quote, in a safe location, completely unharmed and healthy The aid worker goes on to apologize touchingly to her family and for the suffering that she has put them through because of her captivity. And then comes her central proposition. I remember my mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I have come to a place in experience where, in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our creator because literally there was no one else. And Kayla, who was involved in campus ministry at Northern Arizona University, goes on to relate how, quote, by God and by your prayers, 
I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. And she adds, I've been shown in darkness light and have learned that even in prison, one can be free. I am grateful. I have come to see that there is good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. And she concluded, please be patient. Give your pain to God. I know you would want me to remain strong. And that's exactly what I am doing. Do not fear for me. Continue to pray as will I. By God's will, we will be together soon. All my everything. Kewa. Remember this. When you are persecuted for your faith in Christ, remember how God is working in your life. God's blessing is upon you. God's son is being manifested in you. And God's kingdom is given to you. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and such words from the Savior are deep and they are profound and they are powerful. And Father, this morning we lift up all of our brothers and sisters around the world that are being persecuted for their faith. And we're asking God that the truth of your word, the blessedness that comes from knowing you, the joy of seeing your son being manifested in their life and the rich possession of your kingdom would thrill their hearts even in the midst of the pain that they feel. For someone who is watching right now who has never really, truly trusted in Christ, And now they just even sense the need for forgiveness, for life, real life in him. Would they pray with me now and say, God, I I repent. I turn from my self-centeredness and in my brokenness, I believe in Christ. Fill me and lead me. And Lord, for all of us who believe, God, give us a fortitude of faith. Give us courage in Christ. Give us confidence in your word. And through the working of your spirit, may the light of Christ shine so very brightly. We tell you we love you and we know that you're leading us. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.